One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This season of Strong Opinions Loosely Held is brought to you by Lean Cuisine. I've got a lot of opinions, and here's one. Sesame is everything, especially the sesame chicken from Lean Cuisine's Marketplace line, which is made with the kind of ingredients that I like to keep in my own kitchen. Natural chicken, no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. Visit leancuisine.com backslash refinery29 for a coupon code. And feed your phenomenal with Lean Cuisine. From Refinery29, this is Strong Opinions Loosely Held. I'm Elisa Kreisinger. In November of 1975, advice columnist Ann Landers received an odd letter from a young couple undecided about having kids. They wanted her to conduct a reader survey asking if parents felt having kids was worth it. So Landers asked her audience, quote, were the rewards enough to make up for the grief? And you know what they said? In 1975, 70% of parents Ann Landers surveyed said no, having kids wasn't worth it. Fast forward to 2005. Author Ayelet Waldman admits in the New York Times that she loves her husband, a fellow author, more than her four kids. The article sparks an outrage. She has to go on Oprah to defend herself, and she's booed. I want you to brace yourselves because you're about to hear one mother's really controversial confession. Her children are not the center of her universe. Oh, boy, did she strike a nerve. Women are publicly admitting that they aren't in love with their kids. Some even regret having them, that it's not worth it. And if you're shocked by this, don't be. We glorify motherhood. The most important job any woman can have is being a mother. But penalize mothers. A father is the most desirable employee. Next is childless women. Yeah. Next is childless yeah. men, the we, bottom of the rung mothers. We all In a 2014 article for the New York Times, Claire Kane Miller wrote, quote, one of the worst career moves a woman can make is to have children. And that's because in the U.S., the minute a woman has a baby, she doesn't have paid leave to care for it. And the U.S. is the only developed country without paid leave. Women with kids are less likely to be hired. And when they are hired, women with kids make 4% less than women without kids. Low-income moms are hit even harder making 6% less than women without kids. And this wage gap happens for every kid you have. That's right, for every kid you have, your salary decreases. It's called the motherhood penalty. The most important job any woman can have is being a mother. So I gotta ask, why the fuck are we still having kids? And how did we get here? And what do we do if we wanna have kids? Will it be the worst career move we make? When a woman becomes a mother, she's not as valuable. It's a, there is a penalty attached to being a mother, and which is exactly the wrong message that women should be receiving. That's NYU sociologist Dr. Kathleen Gerson. I spoke to her at her home in Park Slope, Brooklyn. 
She studies the relationship between gender, work, family, and social change. In many ways, American women and mothers are lagging behind women in other countries, exactly because we have been so reluctant to provide these family-supportive and work-supportive policies for women and men. Because if you don't allow men as well as women to be involved fathers as, and parents, then that is going to hold women back as well. So how did we get here? historical resistance to providing widespread social supports, especially at the national level. So there are local efforts that have been successful. For example, California now does have a policy uh, that's similar to unemployment insurance that allows for paid parental leave. Is that local support similar to what is in European countries, not, or it's still not even up not to par? Not nearly as generous. A sad commentary that we are grateful when yeah. we're given the right to take even unpaid leave without losing your job, compared to places like the Scandinavian countries or France, for example, where you're not only guaranteed paid parental leave, and that's from fathers as well as mothers, but widespread child care, high-quality, well-respected child care for all children, regardless of their income or class level or what their, their parents do for a living. So um, did we just not elect the right people? <laughs> well, we are in a stalemate between those people who are in favor of the kinds of social changes which are inevitable and argue that the way to deal with those social changes is to bring our social institutions up to date and those who argue that we do not want these social changes to occur and we don't want to support policies that will legitimate those changes and we want to try and go back to a, a, an earlier way of life. It, it's almost like saying we don't want factories, let's go back to the farm system. That may have been a wonderful way of life for some, but you can't prevent these basic changes from occurring. But at the political level, we are still mired in this debate about whether or not to go forward or to try to go backward. It's just that there is enormous disagreement. Politicians have, have politicized them in a way that has made it difficult to meet the needs of ordinary people. I feel like there's a historical trend of devaluing women's work, and you can correct me if I'm wrong about that, but if we change the conversation about fathers, would that change the polarization of the topic? Every time we talk about mothers, we continue to think of an older system of separate spheres for women and men. Most families rely on the paid labor of women, either because she's the primary breadwinner or because she's a single mother supporting her children. And so it's such a disservice. Being a good parent means nurturing and breadwinning. And we need to talk about that both for women's right to work and for men's right to parent. So yes, I, we do need to bring men into the conversation. So in my own research, what I have found is that overwhelmingly, especially among younger generations, equality is the ideal. One, the ability in their own lives to integrate love and work and lead a balanced life, essentially, of caring for others and also achieving goals that are autonomous. And the other thing they mean by equality is 
sharing and balancing those two things with a partner. For all the talk of the decline of marriage, the irony is never have people wanted so much to have a good, lasting, lifelong relationship. The fight for gay marriage, I think, is such an excellent example of that. The problem is that the institutions have not kept up with our, our changing ideals. And so young people especially very rightly see that even though this is what they aspire to, that the chances of achieving it are limited. And you have to be very, very lucky to get all of that. And so they're also mm -hmm. developing what I call fallback strategies, which is, okay, if I can't get that, what's, what's the bottom line here? And this is where I'm finding differences between women and men that, again, are tied to our somewhat outdated notions of what masculinity and femininity mean. Men especially, because I think women in some sense, our, our definitions about womanhood have moved much more quickly and further than our definitions of manhood. Men feel that they can't take the chance of pulling back from work because that will undermine their chances for success. And if they can't succeed in the workplace, if they can't succeed as breadwinners, then everything else is lost. Uh, they're not respected, they, they, it's, it's difficult to sustain a relationship, they're not living up to these standards. And so they rightly feel that, okay, if my plan B, so to speak, is I still have to be the breadwinner and hopefully I'll find a partner who can be the primary caregiver and then choose whether or not to work. Mm -hmm. Women, on the other hand, feel I can't tie my fate to another person. Marriage is too uncertain. My need to, to be an autonomous person is too great. And if I have children, I need to be able to support them. And so their fallback position is self-reliance. And so it looks as if we've got this big gender divide. But actually, underneath it, what we've got is a clash between these new ideals of equality and these older institutions that still penalize women if they have children for working and expect men to be the primary breadwinner even when we know that work is changing and the job market is changing and that that position no longer holds mm -hmm. and that men are needed at home. Policies can actually change culture. As we change, hopefully we can create policies that reflect our new ideals but also the policies themselves can begin to shift the way we think about work and we think about parenting for women and men. It's that not just will, an individual issue. Right, These right. are socially important, fundamentally important to the health of our society, and they can't be solved by individuals who are trying to cope with conditions beyond their control. And what we need to do is reshape those institutions to better fit these emerging ideals mm -hmm. of equality. When reshaping institutions to fit new ideas of equality, it really helps to have elected officials on board. Luckily, I was able to get two on the phone. Hi, this is Senator Heidi Heitkamp. I'm uh, the United States Senator from North Dakota. Hi, I'm Kirsten Gillibrand, United States Senator from New York. So what we're hoping to achieve is a national paid leave plan. And it's insurance that people can buy into for not a lot of money that would guarantee they could spend up to three months with a loved one during any family emergency or family event. So what that means is 
if you have a new baby or if your mother is dying of cancer or your husband took his back out and is bedridden for a month or two or you have an ill child, that that working person, male or female, could take time off to meet that family need. And it has to be gender neutral because if it's not, you're just going to keep putting the burden of family care and caregiving on women no matter what. No, I had an employee. His mom was dying. He wanted to be by her side. And it would be unfair if you only allow women to be by the side of a loved one. Women will lose $320,000 in their lifetime because there's no paid leave. Men will lose $280,000 in their lifetime. Uh, And it's just a huge artificial drag on the economy because every time a worker has to ramp off to meet these family needs, they have to make that decision of whether to forego an income, which they might not be able to do, or not be by that loved one's side at that time of need. And, And we believe that that is just a horrible choice for families to have to make. And we are literally the only industrialized country in the world that doesn't have it. Sounds like it's more expensive to not have paid leave. Correct. Hey, I think almost every economist would tell you that. That's probably the biggest reason why you see across the world this benefit being provided. It actually increases productivity. Because there's no paid leave, it costs about $21 billion a year to the U.S. economy. Uh, because anytime a worker leaves, they have to find a replacement worker. Um, and it's really, really expensive. What's interesting is is when this program has been implemented in states like California, there's been a a huge amount of opposition in the beginning, and then this realization that this is really good for us. This is really good for American business to provide this benefit because the cost of retraining employees, the cost of of distressed employees, if they're sitting at a desk when they can't, when they're worried about their mother dying of cancer, that's just not a formula for success with employees. So this is really a win-win. Right. So then that begs the question for me, when people argue against paid leave legislation, what are they missing? I think when a a legislator doesn't support paid leave, they tend to uh, not be empathizing with working families in their state or in their districts because a lot of members of Congress, they're in a bubble and they tend to be very affluent. They have unlimited care when they need it because they're wealthy. Um, they have the, they can afford to have spouses stay at home. Most Americans can't afford that. They just don't see the problem. They don't understand the urgency And that has to change. And I think when regular people stand up and demand it, they'll start listening. 78% of all voters say that they support a national paid leave plan. 90% of businesses in California said it had no negative effect or a positive effect on their bottom line. And 99% of businesses said it had an increase in retention and morale. So it really works. And legislators are just sometimes out of touch. When we actually live the lives of the people that we represent and we understand their challenges and we respond to those challenges with good public policy like the Family Leave Act, then then people know that we're here and that we get it and we're understanding their concerns and that we're working to make their lives better. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's pro-family, and and that's the hard part for us is people on the floor of the Senate who will stand up and say, "Oh, we're 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 pro-family, we're pro, um, you know, helping working mothers," and not support this is it's it's just it it's 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 not um, consistent with what they profess to be their values. There are two ways to end the motherhood penalty: paid family leave and affordable childcare. If working women don't have access to both. There will still be a penalty when we have kids. You recognize in my state, average daycare for a, an infant's around ten thousand dollars. If you're a low wage worker, you might only earn fifteen thousand. So that means 
early childhood education for your child, a good, affordable, quality daycare is out of reach. We have to do something about it. And both Heidi and I have been working on bipartisan ideas about how to make it more affordable and more universal. And I don't think that we've done uh, a very good job in incentivizing workers to choose that as a career. It's some of the lowest paid, highest turnover. We need to fix that. I visited North Dakota. She didn't have enough slots in her daycares. There were families on waiting lists forever, even in New York. You know, we've tried to guarantee universal pre-K. And again, having the quality facilities is hard to do. If we do focus our time and effort on it, what it means is more women can reach their full earning potential in the workplace. Can you speak a little bit about your personal experience did you get time off, the same time off that you're advocating for? No. I, I mean, I had my son when I was serving as North Dakota's tax commissioner. Um, you know, I was working from my uh, hospital bed, um, uh, you know, uh, basically signing orders and making decisions. And so, um, you know, I, I, my daughter was only one year old when I became a state elected official. And so for many years, that's the life that my kids knew. And I, honestly, my sister lived with us. Uh, and between my husband and my sister and myself, we barely could get one child taken care of. When I was a young lawyer, uh, my law firm didn't have paid leave. So I volunteered to write them a state-of-the-art <laughs> paid leave policy. So I actually had a great paid leave uh, in my first law firm. And uh, my second child I had when I was a member of Congress. And I, I uh, it, it's a different world. You don't have paid leave. You just take what you think you need and can. And that was only a few weeks <laughs> because I was a new member of Congress. And I felt like I can't miss my votes. I got to be there. And I had had a C-section. So I was really just waiting till my body healed so I could walk straight up <laughs> and get in there and vote. But uh, you know, I, I didn't take a lot of time because I felt like I couldn't. But I had the benefit of a mother-in-law and a father-in-law who stayed with us for a month, uh, which really made a difference. And then uh, we had a quality daycare here in Congress. And so I think that's something that everyone should have access to. And I, I'm telling you, to have the daycare be five minutes from the Capitol where I could bring Henry in the morning, I could stop back to daycare two times during the day to nurse him, and then pick him up at four or five when uh, votes were over, when my meetings were over, made a huge difference. I could truly focus. And the, the women who worked there were amazing. They were so loving. They were so focused on teaching him, you know, all the basics. It was wonderful because, you know, we could do the same kind of um, education at home when I wasn't working. But I knew during the day he was getting all this great care and everyone should have that and that's why I fight for it. The hidden story here is how many grandparents are taking care of their grandkids. You know, they are filling in, they are making it work. When you hear a proposal that's going to raise the the social security working age to to 70, understand that affects not only that 70-year-old but it affects their kids because that grandma in all likelihood 3 days out of the week has her grandchildren or that grandpa has his grandchildren and they're helping with daycare. There's over 33 million working seniors today and 2.6 million are acting as caregivers. So we have millions of grandparents that they are primary caregivers for infants and, and young children. If their daughters or sons can't get paid leave, who's going to take care of them when they get sick? Who's going to be able to fill in if they can't meet these caregiving needs. And it's really horrible. So these p grandparents are being pulled on two ways. One, they're taking care of grandkids. And second, if they get sick, there's no safety net for them. There's no one to be by their side. 
Do you think more female elected officials would help you? Yes. I think, <laughs> you know, I have this ambition, and I'm sure it's shared by Heidi. I want 51% of women in Congress. I want us to actually reflect the people we represent. And I promise you, if we had 51% of women in Congress, we would have passed a paid leave plan. We would have affordable daycare. We would have raised the minimum wage. Because these are issues that so overwhelmingly impact women, families, and working families. And we have a different worldview. We, we've dropped our kids off at daycare. We know exactly how much it costs because it's in our budgets. We know why if you don't have a good quality affordable daycare right near you, uh, your children are going to suffer and you, you as a worker, you're going to suffer because you don't have the, the, the sense that they're safe and that things are good for them and they're getting their, their, their access to good quality education. It just affects us. And so and and I want to add this because and I'm not not being ageist, but I think having younger people who understand this dynamic from a personal experience, um, you know, who were raising their kids most recently in in the last couple decades, really get the challenge of daycare. They get the challenge of family leave. They get the challenge of of the American worker, maybe a little bit more than you know someone who who grew up in a different decade and with a different uh, set of kind of uh, economic um, uh, outcomes. The face of the workplace is so different than it used to be. We're not, you know, so many of our policies are stuck in the Mad Men era and this this lack of recognition that women are working. And just as Heidi said, it's not a choice. We, we have to work to provide and feed our kids. People don't necessarily realize that 8 out of 10 moms are working today, and most of them must work. And 40% of working moms are sole or primary breadwinners. So without their salary, without their income, that family doesn't eat. And so without the structural support, uh, we really are it really burdened in a way that's that, that it doesn't work out well. I think one of the reasons why we're raising this is we know that there's a lot of great and talented and amazing women who listen to this podcast, and we want to encourage them to get involved and to step up and, you know, on top of all of their daily challenges to, to think about running for office. Um, we need their voices, we need their activism, and we need them to tell their story because that's a critical part of success in, in politics. Something like this doesn't happen without people engaging at a very direct level. And so everyone who listens to this, who believes that this plan is a good idea, call your legislator, call your congressperson, call your senator, you know, and, and send them letters, send them emails. I think that's what we need to get it over the hump. I mean, honestly, nothing ever works here unless regular people demand it. So using social media, use Twitter, use Facebook, use Snapchat. Take on your senators if they're not on the paid leave bill. We have a bunch of co-sponsors, but not enough. We've got at least... 28 co-sponsors right now. We need to get that to 60. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it helps. We just need to get this word out as quickly and as directly as possible. The stereotype that motherhood is the most important job puts women at a disadvantage. And the data that it's the worst career move a woman can make doesn't help either. Add in outdated policies that don't reflect the realities of working families, and you have a maddening conversation about what our futures look like. You grow up in this world that says that having children is sort of the most important thing that you can do, that being a mother is going to be your primary and most important identity, right? Like the most important job in the world. And I think that that's a really dangerous message 
to to send women because it makes having children sort of the default expectation rather than a proactive choice that you're making. I'm Jessica Valenti, feminist author, contributing editor at Marie Claire, and columnist for The Guardian U.S. You know, the other danger about saying being a mom is the most important job in the world is that it sort of inherently diminishes anything else you do so that if you do want to have a life in the public sphere, if you do want to have a job, that's seen as sort of selfish compared to what you could be doing at home. And I and I think that that still exists, is meant to make us feel better about the fact that we don't have the actual, real, tangible support that we need to be good parents and, and full human beings. It benefits those larger sexist systems to have women really distracted with all that they should be doing as mothers instead of thinking about all that they could be doing in the public sphere. If we really valued parenting, if we really valued motherhood, we would have policies like paid maternity leave. We would have subsidized child care. We would, we would make it easier for people to parent. It's, it's just another way to, to sort of satisfy women without actually giving them anything. And if it's a job, why isn't it paid, right? What made you decide to get married and have kids and mm-hmm. go with the system versus moving to a co-op in the middle yeah, yeah, yeah. of Wisconsin? <laughs> Growing up with sort of working class parents, going to the schools that I did and always feeling like a little out of place, like I had one foot in Queens and one foot in Manhattan, for lack of a better word, that stuff felt really important to me. Like it felt like, oh, that's what you do. Like that was part of class mobility for me, right? So that was one piece of it. And as far as having, you know, a kid, I I think I sort of naively thought that because we were both feminists, we would be able to um, sidestep any of the, the gender role stuff that came up. And again, that just turned out not to be the case. It's so easy to fall into those traditional gender roles. And, you know, my daughter's almost seven now. And what we've sort of figured out is that it, if it is something that you're going to do, for us anyway, it's something that requires sort of like a constant underlying conversation or mm. understanding that's happening, right? Like you have to be proactive about it. It's not something that you can just assume is going to take care of itself because you're both well-meaning feminists, right? right? Like it, it, it's something that has taken a lot of work. There's what we do personally and there's what we do politically. And sometimes those things are at odds with each other. Sometimes they, they work together. You know, I do think that part of being a feminist is – Thinking about how your personal decisions impact that that broader political sphere, right? And that's a conversation that comes up a lot when we talk about women who choose to be stay-at-home mothers, right? I'm not interested in critiquing individual women's choices, but I do think that we need to have a conversation about how a lot of individual women's choices creates a, a broader political problem where women, women are seen as caretakers and and men are not and women are seen as you know not as much in the public sphere and men are part of it is just being aware of of sort of how you participate in those systems in in your everyday life I think you know if you're a white upper middle class woman living in Brooklyn who has a you know a nanny or a child care worker like part of it is thinking about like their life and their life as a as a mother perhaps or 
fair pay and giving that person vacation days and how you think of that person as a full human being and not just an, you know, an extension of your life. So I think that there's all sorts of things that you can do in your everyday life to make that a little bit better. You know, it's not just about creating the policy. It's about creating the culture that allows men to take advantage of those policies, right? Like I think like even in there have been studies in the U.S. about this. When men have um, paternity leave, a lot of them either don't take it mm-hmm. because they fear that it will be seen as sort of unmanly or like not okay in their workplace. Um, or if there was a study of uh, male academics when they took their paternity leave, they actually used it to just publish papers and to write. Oh my god! Right. So they they were using it to like get a, get ahead in their career. Um, so it's it's about making parenting sort of more culturally valuable to men as well. Yeah. And I think that that's that is one of the biggest hurdles because we can change the policies, right? But how do we make men feel like not you know not just being a father is important, but that day-to-day work of of being a father is important. If a man shows up at a soccer game like he's dad of the year, any sort of like minimal amount of parenting work that men do is applauded as sort of being extraordinary and amazing and incredible because there isn't that default expectation that men want to parent, which is not just harmful to women, but I think is really a shame for men as well. Fatherhood is wonderful. It can be incredible, right? Like I think that that men are are missing out in in this huge way. And it's also insulting to men. I know my husband feels this way when people give him like a special pat on the head for just showing up. He feels like that's the bare minimum. I'm a good dad for lots of reasons. Like don't give me like extra accolades just for picking her up at school. Feminism is like one of the only um, social justice movements where we have, we like put all these caveats like, oh, are you a feminist if you wear heels? Are you a feminist? You know, like we all have to make our own negotiations within this sort of broader sexist system so again i'm not interested in taking sort of individual women's individual women to task i think that we can ask are you a feminist if you're supporting policies that hurt other women if you're anti-choice if you're right like i think those are that's like a, a really valid and important conversation to have right now because we're seeing feminism become co-opted by women on the right um and and using feminist rhetoric to to promote really anti-women misogynist policies. So I think that, that that is incredibly important. But I think there's a difference between saying, like the changing your last name bit, right? I'm not going to say, no, that woman's not a feminist because she didn't keep her last name when she got married. But I also have a difficult time with with people who say that like keeping their last name or getting married was a, a actively feminist choice right like my decision to get married was not a feminist choice my decision to have a kid was not a feminist choice it was not like subversive in any way but i also don't think that it makes me like a bad feminist and i think that you know we have Roxane Gay to to think you know for that conversation that's really come out of her book as well like what does it mean to be a bad feminist i think right now is this incredibly pivotal moment for feminism, um, but also a really dangerous one because we do have more cultural power than we've had in a long time. There is sort of this mainstream embrace of of feminist rhetoric, but our our actual rights are more in danger than they've been in a really long time. So I think, you know, if we can translate some of that cultural power to, to political power, that would be great and much needed. 
So why are we still having kids? Why do we do all these things that we're not, we're no longer forced to do? We want human connection. We want intimate connections. We want life partners. And we want to be able to reach across the generations. That's why our relationships with our own parents are so important and why we want to be part of another generation. And those people who don't have children, by the way, feel the same way. My interviews with childless women and men are full of discussions of how important their nieces and nephews are or the children of their friends. They are very involved in the lives of, of other children. And so those connections are fundamental to being human. And I think it takes us back to where we began, which is why it's so important that we as a society make it possible for people to engage in both satisfying work and the human project of family and intimate life in equally satisfying ways. That's the challenge of the 21st century. Even with social policies, all the stressors at work, even that can't dampen this human connection we all Absolutely. have. Absolutely. Kind of... No, and it won't. Since we recorded this episode, there have been a few major updates on paid family leave policy. Effective January 1, 2018, the New York Paid Family Leave Law will provide eligible employees with eight full weeks of paid family leave to care for a new child or a sick family member. It's funded through employee payroll deductions. And New York joins California, Rhode Island, D.C., and Washington State who offer similar plans. Of course, you have to live in one of those states to benefit. And another update. Last week, Ivanka Trump wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal, and in it she argues for six weeks of federally funded time off for new parents after the birth or adoption of a child. She wrote, quote, Providing a national guaranteed paid leave program with a reasonable time limit and benefit cap isn't an entitlement. It's an investment in America's working families. The words sound right, but something seems off. Remember what Jessica said? We're seeing feminism become co-opted by women on the right um, and, and using feminist rhetoric to, to promote really anti-women misogynist policies. Ivanka's plan sounds like a step in the right direction until you zoom out. The Trump administration and congressional Republicans are making moves to cut key health and economic programs that benefit working women. Replacing the Affordable Care Act would throw millions of women off their current health insurance plans. It would defund Planned Parenthood, it would make birth control expensive and hard to get, and it would cut Medicaid funding. The result will be more unplanned pregnancies, and new moms will find life harder and more expensive. To quote Emily Peck in the Huffington Post this week, trying to pass paid family leave while drastically cutting women's health benefits is like buying a beautiful new couch for your living room while at the same time tearing down the room's walls. So the U.S. continues to be the only industrialized country in the world that does not offer a national paid leave policy. Dr. Gerson, Senators Heidkamp and Gillibrand, and Jessica Valenti all had strong opinions about the motherhood penalty. And now I want to hear yours. Did you get paid leave? Was having a kid the worst career move you've ever made? Tweet me at popcultpirate or tag me in your posts on Instagram using popculturepirate. I cannot wait to hear your opinions. Check out our video channel based on this podcast at facebook.com slash held, And please subscribe to Strong Opinions Loosely Held wherever you get your podcasts. 
This episode was produced by Sarah Bernard and edited by me with help from Jesse Ridner and Daniel Huerta for Refinery29. We recorded with Paul Ruest, and we'll see you back here next Monday. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.